to Galluston. You've arrived just in time for a town meeting. You see, Galluston is infested by werewolves, and the only way to solve this crisis is by eliminating the most suspicious individual. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Werewolves Within. Welcome to Beaverfield. Population? Bunch of liars. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Okay, why are we even talking about werewolves? Hosted by Arnie. You're a really likable guy, and that's great. Justin. I'm a nice person, right? I'm considerate. I'm compassionate. I care. And Stuart. Okay, Big Daddy, starting that werewolf knowledge. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Heavens to Betsy. Listener discretion is advised. Everyone shut your stupid whore mouths and listen to this. Today, we're discussing Werewolves Within. Starring Sam Richardson, Milana Vantrup, George Basil, Sarah Burns, Michael Chernus, Catherine Curtin, Wayne Duvall, Henry Guillen, Rebecca Henderson, Cheyenne Jackson, Michaela Watkins, Glenn Fleshler. Directed by Josh Rubin. This is Arnie, and just know, listening is where love begins. Listening to ourselves, and then to Now Playing Podcast. Oh, how sweet. Stuart. And this is Justin. All right, virtual reality games. Don't have much experience with this. Arnie, I remember you bought a Doom VR. We popped it on. I almost ran into your TV. But (laughs) is this a thing? Like, I feel like this was supposed to be the next wave. And then, I don't know. Did it expire? I don't hear anybody talking about Oculus Rift anymore. Hey, the PlayStation 5 VR 2 just came out, like, last week as of when we're recording this it is still very much a push i picked up an oculus rift i've played beat saber there's not enough games for it i picked up the oculus rift actually back when we were doing our paranormal activity series if you remember i played the paranormal activity vr game and i told you that it spooked me out a little bit Mm, yes i played that one with you too yeah that one was decent i like kind of liked it except i could never open a door you never like it when simple tasks are beyond you and and vr Uh, that can happen yeah exactly that was my problem with that so yeah i think vr is still trying to find its way into the mainstream justin have you picked up a vr headset yet yeah we have one got one for the kid and she plays it you know and it you know just like 3d movies it it messes with me like we had a roller coaster one that it was just you sit down and you go on a roller coaster and i almost got more sick than i would on a real roller coaster Mm -hmm. there's something about the frame rate But I don't know. VR feels like it's something that's going to stick around, but it's never going to set the world on fire. You know, it's not going to be the next handheld. It's not going to be the next console. They have to fix the headgear, right? It's just uncomfortable to wear that for hours on end. If you're trying to target people that are going to play for 12 hours straight, you've got to have something more comfortable. Yeah. Which is where we get to Werewolves Within. The VR game came out back in 2016, and I'd never heard of it, never heard of this movie. Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm, No. Actually, I heard of this movie thanks to these fans out there, because we are known now to be chugging along an arcade for at least... I don't know, it feels like about eight years we've been going through this. When this movie came out, I didn't know about it. I mean, it was in the middle of the pandemic, but people were sending emails saying, where was within? Where was within? I'm like, this is a video game? 
Apparently so. And when I go and look at it, I still go, this is a video game? You just sit around a campfire and try to guess who's a werewolf? Come on, you love those games, right? Like Mafia or Werewolf, those table games? I mean, you know, yes, there is something kind of fun. If you have a bunch of people, it's a good icebreaker. If you're trying to, like, you know, get to know a lot of people, don't know much about them, then have a party mystery murder game or something like that. That could be kind of fun. I never needed a helmet to do that. I don't know what you gain by having uh, skins on everyone. I guess they can be in different locations throughout the world, right? You can have eight different people all scattered throughout the globe, but they look like they're sitting together at a medieval campfire. And yes, it's a process elimination to try and figure out who among them is a werewolf. Yeah, I watched some videos of this. I tried to play this. I want to put it out there. I did my due diligence by having the Oculus Rift and knowing that Werewolves Within was available for Oculus. I really tried to get it to play. I don't know if anybody's playing it anymore. Some things I read online... <laughs> I was going to say empty servers. <laughs> <laughs> You're just sitting by the campfire by yourself. <laughs> yes, I have read that, but I could only run it through the Oculus desktop software, and that would only run on Windows 10, and I have a Windows 11 machine. I tried downgrading to Windows 10. I really tried to play Werewolves Within, and I ended up having to watch some YouTube videos, and I have to say, this game would be fun because I have friends all around the world through podcasting and through conventions. And like the three of us, we live in disparate locations. I could see it being fun if we grab Brock, Jacob, the three of us, Marjorie, and all threw on some headsets and sat down to play some Werewolves Within. However, going in solo and doing it with a bunch of gamer strangers seems like absolute torture. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because the gameplay is, you are given a secret role. You could be a villager, you could be a turncloak, you could be a werewolf, you could be a watcher, and each of those have certain clues associated with their class. And then, just through talking and giving the clues you have, you're supposed to try to figure out which one is the werewolf. And of course, the werewolf is supposed to lie and be like, well, I'm not a werewolf, I'm a villager, and all of that. And... There's no real structure to the game. It's just at a certain point, the timer runs out. Everybody has to vote. Who do you think is the werewolf? And if the most people voted for the werewolf, then the villagers win. Or if you all voted for a villager and kill the villager, then the werewolf wins. And what do you win? Uh, the ability to go play this thing again. Exactly. You think Werewolves Within, you would at least see like some werewolf kills, a transformation or something. But it truly is, yeah, just, I guess, a better way of hobnobbing if, if you like what are those filter kind of things like if you like to put on pig noses or whatever i guess it's one way of hanging out with your friends and you know playing a low stakes game but not much of a movie doesn't seem like it would lend itself to much of a film but they got the perfect director for it i don't know have you guys seen josh rubin's first movie scare me no, did it scare you? No, I don't think it would scare anyone. It is about people sitting around talking the whole time and telling each other scary stories that are actually sarcastic and half-formed. It is a blueprint for this movie. Surprisingly enough, it starts with this doofus guy who secludes himself in a New England log cabin to try and finish his werewolf screenplay, and there's a power outage, 
and his neighbor comes over. She's a successful horror writer. Think of her as female Stephen King. And then they just kind of sit around and ridicule each other for a hundred minutes until the pizza boy shows up and one of them dies. I won't spoil it, but it's uh, almost like a play and sarcastic in its attempt to create fear. You think one of them might be a werewolf because the guy was telling a werewolf story. But in the end, not high on suspense, high on comedy. And so I think... That must have been the aim when they picked him and said, you're our guy for Werewolves Within. Are you sure you didn't just watch the making of behind-the-scenes doc of this movie? <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's very... What's really weird is, you know, Josh Rubin not only directed that movie, he, he wrote Scare Me, but he is not the person that wrote this. This was adapted by Mark Maron's ex-wife. I don't know if you guys follow that <laughs> podcaster, but this was her foray. Yeah, Mark Maron's awesome. Into screenwriting. And again, I just want to stress the fact that this was acclaimed. It was 2021. This movie came out on a $5 million budget. It still only made less than a million dollars. But the people that saw it gave it high praise. We got a lot of emails about it. And right now, sitting there as the most highly acclaimed video game adaptation of all time. Take that, Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so how did this movie release? I mean, I know this was in the heart of the pandemic, and I don't think it had theatrical runs, did it? I mean, it did what Black Widow and Suicide Squad and all of them did. You could go to a movie theater that might be carrying it and risk life and limb, or you could just <laughs> sit at home and pay 20 bucks. And so I don't know if that one million box office haul includes VOD, home streaming, but it kind of, it was a summer. 2021 movie out there with with the big boys and again had some critical acclaim to it but i wasn't eager I'll, I'll be honest i was like i don't know what this movie is i don't know what this game is it's the video arcade and there are other things to cover but we're wrapping it up now with mario in theaters it just seems like a good time to circle back and get all the game movies we haven't covered i'm optimistic uh that this is going to be one of the better ones the best i mean <laughs> real low bar here and I'm always open for a good werewolf movie. There's so few good werewolf movies. There's a lot of werewolf movies. Not many of them are good werewolf movies. But I've talked about it before, I think, when we did Silver Bullet, that the thing about a werewolf movie is it usually is a whodunit. It's usually a mystery of who is the werewolf. And I enjoy that. Given the formula of Werewolves Within, I'd watched some game footage before I came to the movie. I had hopes for this, you know, based on the acclaim and things. I'm like, this one could actually just be a fun movie. Yeah, and I came in with no expectations. I mean, I, I come in with a little PTSD, obviously. I mean, mm -hmm. the title Werewolf in the arcade just, uh. Yeah, run. Starting to get some bad thoughts here, but no, yeah, I mean, seeing some of this cast, you know, get ready to sit down and watch it. I'm like, oh, okay, this could be something. I, I enjoy a lot of the people in this movie, so let's see what it's about. Yeah, I definitely didn't know anyone by name, but I had seen everybody in some kind of cable comedy show. <laughs> I saw most of them in cable comedy shows, except for Milana Vantraub, who I specifically only know as an AT&T salesman. Lily, heck yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> She's big on Reddit, man. But I guess she played Squirrel Girl, and I missed it. Yeah, voice, right? Animated. Mm, I'm going to keep missing that until they make a real movie. <laughs> All right, well, let's find out if Werewolves Within has anything good within. Arnie, give them the plot. Beaverfield is a town divided. A gas man named Sam Parker wants to build a pipeline next to the forest preserve. 
Some of the residents, like Trisha and Pete Anderson, want to get paid for the pipeline. Others, like wealthy Devon and Joaquim, don't need the money and don't want the drilling needed for the pipeline. Into this small town comes new forest ranger Finn Wheeler, played by Sam Richardson. He's quickly befriended by the local mail carrier Cecily, played by Milana Vantraub. Cecily shows Finn around town and introduces him to the locals, including isolated survivalist, the standoffish Emerson Flint. That evening, though, all the town's generators are sabotaged. The town has no power, and a snowstorm caused an avalanche trapping the residents in Beaverfield. The residents take shelter at the lodge owned by Janine, but that safe haven seems less safe when Janine's missing husband is found dead under the lodge porch. A lodge resident, Dr. Jane Ellis, does a DNA examination of hairs found with the body and decides there's a werewolf within the lodge. This monster attacks and bites Pete's hand off. The high tension between the residents leads them to start murdering each other. Even Gasman Parker grabs a crossbow loaded with silver bolts and tries to kill Finn. Eventually, it seems only Finn and Cecily have survived the townie attacks, and Finn realizes it's Cecily who is the werewolf. She created the tension in town so she could easily eat the residents who killed each other. Cecily attacks Finn, but Finn is saved by Emerson Flint, who decided to come to town to help his neighbors. But they fail to kill Cecily. Cecily attacks once more and is killed by a silver crossbow bolt fired by Janine, who had survived the night's carnage. Only Janine, Emerson, and Finn are left standing as credits roll. So how the hell is this an adaptation of the game? The game is taking place in like the 16th century and you're sitting around a fire and you're literally just sitting and pointing at each other and there's no snow there's no modern day. There's no gas pipeline. This is just a werewolf movie that somebody put a name on, isn't it? <laughs> no, I think that there are many, many scenes in which this cast of characters are going to be asked to sit around. Well, you know, it's a lantern. The power goes off. But yeah, they're going to sit around and point. A lot of this movie is based on the idea of chattiness comedy, you know, just a conversation film, a talky kind of film. And yes, they modernized it. I think that's wise. Yeah, and you know, I don't mind that this isn't, you know, some medieval setting or something, but maybe they could have been clever and did an opening where it's set in medieval times and kind of set the lore for what we eventually would run into in modern times. I don't think they had the money. <laughs> Yeah, when you look around the inn where most of this is set, it seems like there are lithographs and what have you to ancient times. It must have been an aspiration that I agree, Arnie. When they finally raised the funds for this film, they realized that's a scene they can cut. But as they start, a quote from Mr. Rogers, made to feel very ominous by the slow way it's revealed and the haunting sound effects in the background. This is going to be a story that asserts that being a neighbor is creepy and scary. Did you see Mr. Rogers' puppets? Those are creepy and scary, I will admit. Those always gave me nightmares as a kid, so there's something to be said about that. <laughs> yeah, and Mr. Rogers is kind of having a revival around this time. You know, there had been a documentary that was really good, and then a Tom Hanks movie that wasn't. But yeah, it seemed like Mr. Rogers has been rediscovered. He's the patron saint of being a good citizen, I suppose. And he's sort of this nostalgic character. He's a character from our long-ago past. Makes sense that they would pair this quote with old novelty songs. I feel like this soundtrack is filled with 50s 
one-off kind of like here at the beginning we have howard mirren singing the phantom strikes again nah 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 it's kind of a fun way to inject uh, ghoulish humor into the proceedings i don't know this song so i didn't find it very humorous the only songs i knew that they're gonna play in this movie are like savage garden and ace of bass well, yes, there's some 90s stuff, but for the most part, yeah, it seems to have uh, an aesthetic. Werewolf movies in general, I again, when's the last time they've even made one, if you don't count Twilight? Does Teen Wolf count that just came out this year? Mm, I don't know. We probably will have to cover that at some point. But we, and now playing, have not covered many werewolf movies, and I feel like it's antiquated just as much as these songs. Yeah, this opening, you know, we get a kill no gore, so it's kind of, you know, setting up the stakes here a little bit, but it's also starting to feel a little bit Jaws-ish, right? Like, we're not seeing the monster, we we see the carnage off screen, so I'm starting to get like, okay, this might not be a werewolf movie right off the top of the screen here, you know? It could be something else, it could be more of a mystery. You know, I didn't get that right from the start, but yes, definitely it is a working theory as you go through this movie. The more it goes is that people have vastly overstated the occult and the supernatural and that these are human monsters. Yeah, because we start with just some old man checking his phone and being attacked. And it's kind of a weird way to start the film. I don't know who this man is. And then we're just going to, like, jump a month later. Specifically, they put on the screen 29 and a half days later. <laughs> Again, injecting more sarcasm here. I think we are definitely being signaled to not take too much of this as true horror. Uh, yeah, I, I'll just go ahead and say that who this character is actually took me a while to figure out, longer than it should. We will find out this is supposedly the cheating husband of the innkeeper, who I guess is texting a girlfriend that never comes into the movie. Yeah, I don't think we see her. I have no way to know. I mean, we hear a little bit of gossip that he was cheating and supposedly ran off with his girlfriend, and then we're going to find the body, but we never find the girlfriend. Yeah, he's out here. His I think it's significant that the texts he receives are accompanied by a wolf whistle, and he's taken his wedding band off. So I definitely don't think that he's, you know, communicating with the wife that is upstairs. Yeah, he's an opening kill and a reason to kick things off because it's going to be a while before anyone else dies. So while we're trying to clear up this guy's character a little bit, was he also the postman and the reason why... We have a new postman in town. Yes. Isn't that sloppy? Yes. Yeah. You wouldn't know that from the scene. Yes. Okay. Yep. I couldn't remember if he was wearing it or not. And, you know, mm -mm. later on that information becomes available. And I was like, well, I'm not going all the way back to the beginning to see if that's the case. Male person, Justin, not male man. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Male person. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, yes, 29.5 days later, a month, essentially, we have the most recognizable actor for me in this, Sam Richardson, playing Finn Wheeler, a park ranger who, under mysterious circumstances, has to leave one New England national park to come to this beaver field. Yeah, Sam Richardson's the actor playing Finn, and I love Veep. Veep was one of my COVID shows. I binged all of Veep, and it was really funny. He was really funny in it, and he was also in Ted Lasso. So this is an actor I know and was happy to see in this movie. Yeah, right there with you, Arnie. Like, I got to know him from Veep, too, and then you start to look into him, and it's like, oh, he's... He's got a pretty big resume here. But yeah, every time he's on screen, I, I just like his energy. Kind of that nervous, not very secure 
but yet funny presence. Yeah, he's a nerd, and we get it right from the start here. There's so many scenes that start with people screaming. His intro is screaming. He's being encouraged by this self-help book on tape that he's playing in his car as he's driving, telling him to get balls, balls, balls. We know right then and there that this is someone that is going to have to reach deep for his masculinity, right? Like, he is going to probably be pretty terrified confronting a werewolf. He's, hell, terrified to confront his girlfriend. We see him make a call to this mostly unseen Charlotte. I think it's funny. There is an actress credited as playing Charlotte. It's because there is a woman dangling off of the rearview mirror, uh, some kind of ID badge. don't know if you noticed, but that's Charlotte. (laughs) Anyway, the girlfriend that won't return his calls. Yeah, we hear a little bit of Charlotte's voice through a phone. Maybe they were crediting the voice actress. Maybe it's Mm. the photo there. I didn't catch the badge hanging from the rear view. But yeah, he's the new guy in town, our point of view character, and he's going to come in. We're going to be introduced right away to the conflict in the town before Finn even gets there. In owner Janine is arguing with businessman Sam Parker about whether or not there should be a pipeline placed in Beaverfield. Which has some topicality. I mean, later they'll mention fracking, and it feels like this is a conflict we hear about drilling for oil. You know, what's the best thing to do, short-term versus long-term goals for this community? Yes, uh, it's a hook, a very modern one, to hang the conflicts of this town in a way of unifying uh, the half-dozen characters that we're going to meet here. All of which we are really thinking about as potential suspects for being a werewolf slash the killer of Janine's husband from the opening. But again, none of these people we meet, there's not a deviant, a villager, a saint, a turncloak, a watcher, all these classes (laughs) that were such a big thing in the video game. None of them in the townspeople. I mean, could you think that maybe they're modern day equivalents at all? You know, I mean, we do get quite a disparate cast of characters by the time we're introduced to everybody. They're all tied together by this small town, but they, they have different political views. They have different backgrounds. I mean, I'll go ahead and ask, can you guess who the werewolf is early? They do a pretty good job of disguising the fact, I think, that Cecily is the werewolf. That she, because she will develop a crush on our guy, and, you know, that seems to protect her from my suspicions for much of this. I didn't think she was it. She seemed like a kind of last girl or like they'd be the last couple, the romance you're talking about that's budding between them. They have a nice meet cute and they seem really interested in the same thing. They go to an axe throwing bar. I love the back that axe up sign that's up in that bar. And yeah, it wasn't until it was revealed that I knew who the werewolf was. I had suspicions along the way and every one of them was wrong. And yeah, I mean, I, I won't say that I guessed it, but she was on my short list of suspects. But when, when it was revealed, I was truly surprised. I was like, okay, great. Good turn. Yeah, it doesn't telegraph it at the very least. And if you see Scare Me, she is going to remind you of a character that, yes, I'll just go ahead and spoil it. She survived and she was innocent. So I just didn't think, I just, the movie seemed so similar. I just assumed a similar outcome. But she is a male person, uh, clarifying that non-gender defining way that she's going to deliver the mail. And she brings him a letter from an environmentalist that is living on the second floor that has weighed in, confusingly, not on the pipeline issue so much as some other character that we're going to not meet for 15 minutes who is a hermit that traps animals in ways that are 
inhumane. Yeah, this environmentalist living on the second floor of the inn is not well introduced. We get this letter, but we don't get to see the Dr. Jane Ellis character until much later, and then she spends most of the movie by herself. And I know in a whodunit we need a colorful cast of characters to be suspects, but there's a lot of characters in here that get real short shrift development. And so I had a hard time keeping track of several of them. And this environmentalist doctor was one that just kept falling off my radar till she was back on screen. I thought her introduction was pretty funny. They're all kind of yelling about stuff in the, in the lodge there. And the, the innkeeper was like, what do you think doctor? And they kind of part ways and she's standing behind everybody. That kind of made her stick out in my mind as all right, here's somebody that we should pay attention to. Well, again, as the scientist in a horror movie, we know that she's going to be the one to bring all the lore when she's extracting hair strands from bodies and what have you later. Yeah, we're turning to her for both the answers and probably a dead meat character, right? Like, if not the person that probably created the werewolf, then someone that's definitely going to die at the hands of the werewolf. But yeah, in these early scenes, hiding in a room, we see someone peeking out the windows. I think it's her. She's, I think, the most mysterious of all the potential players. And then there's just some broad caricatures. We get into town, and Cecily is going to introduce Finn to everyone that she knows, and there is a power couple, two gay men in a yoga studio, and they really kind of represent uh, the sort of millionaires that don't think much of uh, locals and rednecks uh, that, you know, buy summer homes in faraway places and don't respect the culture. Yeah, this is Devon and Joaquim who are played so broadly that I would almost be pro the homosexual couple for inclusion if I didn't feel that the way they're portrayed is so stereotypical as to almost be derogatory. And derogatory is fine. I mean, again, I think we're supposed to be suspicious of slash dislike most of this cast, maybe all of this cast, except for Cecily and Finn. Yeah, and I, I almost think that it's part of the humor of this screenplay is that everything is going to be written as a stereotypical character, just kind of surface, you know? I mean, they bump up against politics, but they definitely do not dig in past that. I'll just say this. Unfortunately, they're just not that funny. Uh, the couple's played by Cheyenne Jackson, who has, I don't know, done a lot on Broadway and soap operas. But I know Joaquim from What We Do in the Shadows. I don't know if you follow that show, but he's very funny as the uh, Renfield, the aspiring human that wants to be a vampire on that show. He's not that funny. No, I'm not laughing. I also really don't care for the couple of Marcus and Gwen. Marcus, is he a meth addict? He seems really criminal and hyped up all the time, like he's been taking something. His teeth look good, but I just got a meth vibe off of him. Yeah, I mean, once again, I think it's just shorthand for druggy, hippie, high, possibly meth. Like, they don't put it there for us. They just stereotype it and cast it and put it on, on the screen. We have to bring our own baggage to fill in these characters. Yeah, and I think I hear you implying, Arnie, and I'm going to agree with that, that in comedies, it's usually better to be a little more specific. Too broad is not that funny and can get you into even some trouble if you're implying things about certain groups. So, yeah, that these aren't really well-understood characters that they essentially, you know, you're a redneck, go. It seems to be the direction they were given. Uh, 
It just means that this movie's only going to be so funny. And he's married to Gwen, who's the mechanic, who's going to drop a bit of information here that is important that could finger Cecily as the werewolf. Cecily being the male person has not delivered the required parts needed for, we're going to find out later, the snowplow. Yeah. And then there's also the horrible maple farmers. We have Pete and Trisha and uh, also very broad types that Pete is, you know, very handsy. He will come up right here on Cecily and be grabbing her inappropriately and has a wandering eye. And Trisha is all about crafting. She wants to sell out to the pipeline and start a craft store. And she's even made like a little angel for Finn's Kwanzaa tree, which is not a thing. And, you know, even more (laughs) wrong because it's a, a white angel and he's black. (laughs) <laughs> I did love, though, that they kept giving him crafts. Like, here's a bottle of syrup that we got from a tree. Here's an angel. It's like, <laughs> yep. is he when he kept having to carry more and more stuff? I mean, there are bits of comedy that are working here. And with this couple, it, you know, as soon as they painted her as a craft lady, you notice her huge homemade earrings that, like, cover up half of her head. That gave me a good chuckle. But, yeah, Pete is another actor that I've enjoyed. And seeing him here, I was like, okay, you know, this is giving a little credence here. He's great. Well, he's got a bit part, but he's pretty good in the show Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. that's really what it is. I want to stress this. I'm like, I'm not having a bad time, but the jokes aren't funny. What's funny is the cast. You're giving substandard material to people who have really made me laugh on Barry or Veep or Russian Doll or what have you, and because they are so good, they elevate this material. Yeah, with a cast of no-names, I don't know that I'm even following mm-hmm. this movie into the woods. You know, it it's going to fall flat. Yeah, if you don't know this cast or, or respond to this cast, don't watch this movie. And I don't know most of these people, or I don't recall them. Like, I don't know which one in here is in Barry. I've seen every episode of Barry twice, but I don't know which one here is in Barry. Oh, okay. Well, a few of them. The Gwyn is the cop that investigated Barry. She came in kind of in the second season. Okay, yep, yep. And then the person they're going to meet, the loner that, you know, is shooting wolves and wearing wolf pelts and all of that, he is uh, one of the Russians. Got executed in one of the seasons. He's, He's a little harder to recognize here. He's covered in hair and a big old beard. Yeah. And, you know, again, this is just another broad trope that, again, creates rivalries. It's helpful to have these couples. We now have him in our mind paired with the environmentalist. We Everyone, there seems to be twos. And so it helps us keep track of all the people that we met. But we're going to finally get our second kill here. Chachi. No, not Scott Bayo, but mm. the little dog owned by Trisha. <laughs> I mean, Scott Bale would be funny, but uh, yes, I suppose it's always a winner to have a little ankle biter who is, you know, being doted on, treated like an, you know, overprivileged child. Trisha wants to walk it, but of course is too lazy to go into her backyard, so she lets it out through the dog door, the leash pulls. You talk about Jaws. This feels like a Jaws moment when she draws back a broken leash and looks out the window and screams bloody murder. And she's going to continue screaming for about five ex- excruciating minutes about that dog this is some humor that's going to fall very flat for me again i'm not familiar with michaela watkins who's playing trisha here but she is playing this broad about her being so distraught about a dog now i am always sympathetic of a dog death on screen but here even i'm like lady shut up 
<laughs> and yeah, she's always playing this type of character. She's always kind of, you know, just below the surface manic, ready to explode with some sort of emotion. So this Definitely. is good casting for her. But yeah, I mean, this is what brings everybody to the lodge is her freaking out over the fact that her her dog is gone not just missing, but she's pretty sure a monster ate it. Yes. And on top of that, something, we'll call it a monster. Some people think that it's a human monster, but someone has clawed and broken all the generators in town. So nobody has any power. They're all huddling at the end. They all decide they have to stay together because, yes, there is something that seemingly is prowling around and it killed the dog. It cut the generators and in a moment that kind of comes out of left field very convenient finn is just walking along and notices something underneath the porch of the inn it is the body of that character we see murdered from the first scene dave the innkeeper's husband so they know there's a killer and i believe it is the meth head as you defined him marcus that is the first to say werewolf but most people are just looking suspiciously at each other and thinking about the pipeline as the motive but also, they're pretty distraught. I mean, we don't see it on screen. You know, this isn't a gore fest movie. I think we're figuring out by now because we're sitting with this corpse in the foreground of our shot here, not seeing anything. But they're describing it as, you know, this was something viciously attacking the body. About that. That's worth pointing out. Yes. Five million dollar budget. I believe you can find practical effects. You can hire a special effects artist on a five million dollar budget. It seems to be a choice not to show excessive gore. Is that a mistake? It's definitely an R-rated movie, which shocked me given the limited amount of gore, because they keep dropping F-bombs all over the place. But yes, I think if you're going to have an R-rated movie, even if it's a horror comedy, I think you should lean into the gore more than this movie did. Again, if they hadn't said fuck several times, I'd really have just thought this was PG-13. Agreed on that. And I do think, you know, because that first attack, it was an invisible werewolf, and so the camera it's sort of a pov slinging the guy around it made me think of sam raimi a lot i miss the sam raimi splatter you know sam raimi would have this sense of humor that this movie does but he would also punctuate each joke with splatter and i think that would just be appropriate but you, you bring up the the budget Stuart, and, and i still question whether or not it was a choice or something that you know maybe they even tried to plan for because it, they did have some sort of special effect for that body they just wouldn't show it. So it, it almost wonders if it, if it failed on screen and they're like, screw <laughs> it, pan up and just frame it out. Yeah, they didn't hire the best there. But for whatever reason, it feels like a deficit to this movie in that we are have the implication that there is a gory serial killer moving around. Maybe a werewolf, maybe just uh, angry fellow citizen. This is where we get a lot of the gameplay, Arnie. This is what I was would say is a lot of the sitting around and finger pointing. There are many scenes here where we just have people sitting around lanterns and saying, this is your motive. You were against the pipeline and your husband was for it. So innkeeper Janine, you must have done it. I'll agree. I was definitely thinking both about the budget of this movie and about the game because it is not visually exciting to have a whole bunch of people sitting around in a circle pointing at each other saying you did it. <laughs> I think I would be better with it. I mean, I've I've enjoyed a lot of movies that are nothing more than people lounging around hotel rooms or, you know, just occupy a space. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know. But you got to have the dialogue. You got to have the sparkle. You got to have the jokes. And I don't feel like this script, it relies a lot on sarcasm and not a lot on real acidic 
one-liners. But yeah, at this point, they decided that they need to pretty much arm themselves, right? This is when we figure out who has what weapons and who's going to pair off to help keep everybody safe or at least each other safe. Yeah, and a few of them, Finn and Cecily, try to recruit uh, the hermit, the wolf hunter, Flint. They have some not particularly great physical comedy of trying to knock on his door, him covered in blood, and then him looming and scaring them and them trying to figure out how to get out of the locked door. All of this feels like mm, obvious sort of character misdirection. Yeah, this opening is dragging in my opinion. I feel like we needed werewolves faster or more kills faster because I'm just not laughing at any of the jokes. If this is a horror comedy and the comedy's failing, I need more horror. And yeah, all this stuff with Flint, this second trip to visit Flint didn't work for me. All the stuff of who's carrying guns didn't necessarily work for me. But I feel like on night two, when they all lose power and all of the townies except for Flint are all in the lodge, that now the action's going to start. Now we're going to start seeing some bodies hit the floor and we're going to whittle down this cast. But I'm wrong. <laughs> it's not going to happen like that exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, we do get another attack that Pete, uh, while trying to be, you know, a Lothario and hit on Cecily, ends up going to bed with his wife. And we see him getting dragged out of that bed, down the hall, having his fingers bitten off, uh, saved basically by Gwen, who is packing heat and is a good enough shot to scare away whatever's attacking him, but not sharp enough, or maybe she wanted him dead. He has a bullet, I think, pretty much in his heart and will pass out from neglect, uh, probably die because no one is that <laughs> concerned about Pete. <laughs> and this is where we can start whittling off some suspects, right? I mean, we have Pete, who we would assume isn't the werewolf because he just got attacked. You have the first person to come in and shoot. She's off the list. But... Don't you think Pete's now going to become a werewolf? Isn't that one of the rules of werewolf is if you're bitten by a werewolf and you survive, you become a werewolf? Pete lost some fingers, but he survived a werewolf bite. I'm now thinking this movie is entitled Werewolves Within. I'm thinking now Pete is a werewolf and there's the master werewolf. But that's not how this movie's going to play it at all. Not only that, he has like a moment later when he's delusional probably has sepsis and what have you and is <laughs> saying i am a werewolf and again because everyone hates this guy so much and it was alleged that gwen uh four years before kind of slept with him in the sugaring room of the of the maple farm uh that she might have had a reason to want to put him down but i think that he's yeah doesn't make a pretty good suspect for a werewolf you could probably keep him in your list, particularly since he was bitten by the werewolf. But I think, Arnie, that idea is, is not what they're setting up here. This is a murder mystery, 10 little Indians, and they're whittling them down. And here I thought that him, you know, confessing that he was a werewolf, not only was just him being delusional from the experience, but also I, I figured it was kind of a nod to the game before I knew anything about the game. Like, oh, maybe this is you know, a tactic in the game to get somebody off the trail of, you know, who, who to suspect. If you're the turncoat, that would work because the turncoat wins if the werewolf isn't discovered. So if the turncoat goes, I'm the werewolf, and then everybody votes for the turncoat, then he would win the game because the werewolf survives. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Maybe a little bit of a nod. But here's the thing. We keep saying werewolf. It's in the title. We have a reason to suspect. But uh, we have a scientist who is running hair samples and nothing is coming back conclusive. 
She's uses the word lycanthrope, but again, not even her scientific diagnostic tools are telling her for sure. They're telling her that whoever attacked the dog attacked the husband, but nothing more than that. And then we have this very awkward scene where she retreats into her room, shoots through the door at anyone that tries to come knocking, and then somehow the oil tycoon guy, the one that's trying to get everyone to vote yes on the pipeline, got into her room and opened the door and says she killed herself i love in her room when we get in there her csi equipment that's doing the digital analysis of the hair i mean i don't know why they couldn't use some csi effects but this is like right out of john carpenter's the thing when it's flashing giant block letters saying unknown dna and all of that i was (laughs) i was chuckling at the rudimentary and maybe it's intentional maybe this is supposed to be a throwback I think so. That I was chuckling at. Her death is really weird the way it's played because we don't see it. He does say she killed herself. Is this the first townie on townie murder or did she kill herself? She was bleeding. I thought she killed herself because she was bitten and knew she was going to turn into a werewolf. (laughs) I believe when all is said and done, what makes the most sense is because she was so pro-environmental, this guy took the opportunity to whack her. Yeah, because there's more than one gunshot. There was a couple gunshots fired. Yeah, so I believe what we should probably conclude after we've seen the rest of the movie is that this was just an opportunity for him to get rid of one nay vote. And that's where this movie is going to go is townies killing townies, not werewolves killing townies. And again, if played right, if played completely farcical, I could go with that i'm trying to think of some murder comedies that would work in this way i can give you the big one the one that's obviously the game that they're really playing 1985's clue right like this is what they really want to do is recreate the tim curry manic vibe of running room to room and making fun of agatha christie tropes except there they're not really killing each other i'm trying to think of something that's like the purge but funny you know what i'm saying because here we're gonna have everybody trying to kill everybody like it's purge night and that's not the movie i thought that was being set up and i didn't feel like the rivalry set up between the characters reached the mania of murder level yeah like the belko experiment yes that's exactly the kind of movie i'm thinking of that movie played it right that had me believing in the office worker on office worker violence and here it just comes out of left field that's why i had no idea what happened to dr jane ellis is because i didn't think this was the kind of movie i didn't think the divisions were deep enough that this gas guy would murder yeah i agree what they're trying to say it's kind of like parasite they're trying to create a social class experiment in which you have a town that desperately needs this money all the people that have been there for years can't wait to cash in on the pipeline money but they're controlled by these townies that blow in that you know To them, you know, money is no object. They see no value in having their quaint little charming rustic existence be polluted by oil drilling. Yes, you needed to create that as, I don't know, funnier than that conflict comes out being or more real world stakes than it ends up coming to be. 
the stakes are low here, right? I think we can all agree that it's not about tension. It's about bitchiness. It's about watching comedic actors kvetch, point fingers at one another, say things like, you can't call it a Mexican standoff anymore because that's racist when people are brandishing their guns. Yeah, and you know, this movie has me questioning details that if it was done better, I, I wouldn't care. I'd just breeze over it. But at this point in the movie, I'm wondering, I'm wondering what the layout of this town is. Like, why is that one road closed off? Is the lodge near the town? Is it up a hill? Is it in a mountain? Like, I don't know the geography of this area. And also, I don't know if we have met every single person in this town. Like, are there other people bumbling around that we don't know uninvolved? Or is it this seven people? Yeah, I think we're supposed to think that this is the town, which feels too small for a town but the cast feels too big for the movie they want to tell. Again, yes. if this is Clue, you want to have everyone sequestered in one location and then give them all a really good reason to want to kill each other. And alleged affairs and voting for pipeline money just isn't enough. No, it isn't. And because there's so many characters, the alleged affairs and things are hard for me to keep track of which character is going with who. But it's going to get there they don't really stay as a unit in the lodge too long after pete loses his hand and dr ellis dies everybody's going to run out into the town and try to take each other out on the street despite sam richardson's best efforts again he's no tim curry i'm just going to go ahead and say as much as i did like him on veep like curry has more energy and clue and he's has this one moment where he's going to evoke Mr. Rogers and give a speech and uh, we're going to find out like he's actually supposedly having an influence on keeping these people from killing each other. He's good enough, but I don't think he has enough to work with to make him feel really important to this. What we're starting to wonder is maybe he's the werewolf, right? When he goes upstairs and we find out that Sam, the oil tycoon guy, has newspaper clippings from where he used to work and people that got killed by a wild animal. Sam is suddenly looking, you know, he had to leave his job under mysterious circumstances. They're sort of pointing us in that direction. Yeah, and then, like, is it unsaid and we're just supposed to pick up on it that he's somewhat experienced in fighting off these creatures? Like he has a kit with special arrows that they don't bring up or anything. We just kind of watch it happen. Yeah, that's a really weird turn that, yes, everyone decides I don't want to stay here anymore. It's safer to go it alone than to stay in this house. And so we have the oil entrepreneur that has nowhere else to live, but he does have a super cool van that's in the parking lot of this inn. And he goes back to the trunk and there's like neon piping and high-tech lasers and night vision goggles and all of that. So was the oil stuff a ruse for his werewolf hunting or I got lost. I got lost in the characterization of this guy. Yeah, I never thought he was a werewolf hunter and yet I don't know why else he would have silver crossbow bolts. And, you know, you're supposed to have silver bullets. The whole thing with werewolves is silver bullets. Crossbow bolts are cool and all, but if he was really a werewolf hunter, wouldn't he have a gun? And if he thought that Finn was the werewolf, wouldn't he have gotten ahead of that? Wouldn't he have pointed the finger in one of the many scenes where everyone is throwing out their theories? I mean, I think we're all kind of saying the same thing. By time we get to the reveal, I feel like I'm having a hard time caring, mm -hmm. you know? We've just seen so many other people get killed for just ridiculous reasons by other people. They weren't even killing people thinking that they're saving other people by getting the werewolf. 
they're just murdering people for their own reasons. You know, revenge, greed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pettiness, yes, unneighborliness. Yeah. We, a lot of them get taken up at Trish's house. They contrive a reason that everyone winds up at Trish's house. And Marcus, for some reason, help me out with this. Is this a Freddy Krueger joke? He's taping knives to his fingers and robbing them? I thought it was a Freddy Krueger joke, but then he says he's a werewolf and he was just using it to fake werewolf claws so he could rob people. And again, I'm like, is he robbing them for meth money? (laughs) Right. Gwen accidentally runs him over is a bit of physical comedy that may or may not work for you. But then she gets her head blown off by Trish and then Joaquin takes the uh, fire poker and knocks trish into the fireplace i think pete already expired from the gunshot a half hour ago and Devin, i forgot to mention trisha put a maple spout into his neck so yes all of a sudden random violence that really within the we're talking about like an eight minute span suddenly this cast has gone from like 10 to 2 it's strange and the werewolf hasn't killed anybody and the funny death should be the maple spigot in the neck, but we don't get to see the blood come out of that. Mm. Right. Again, if this were Sam Raimi, that is the joke. Setting up that rig and watching us, you know, enjoy the blood spatter is funnier than the idea that she killed him with a maple spout. You have to underline the joke. And her punchline, her kill line, I want my craft store. I don't think this movie's well written. Mm, Agreed. But yeah, we do end up with a really small cast, and it's going to be Oil Guy, Sam Parker, against Cecily and Finn. Well, Joaquim is still there as well. He's been shot by one of the Silver Arrows, and we think, I mean, it's worth pointing out, his character's last name is Wolfson, so maybe you thought he was potentially, if there are multiple werewolves, he could have been one of them. He talks about growing up in Argentina and knowing about werewolves back then, but that all ends up being a red herring. He exists basically to pull a gun and shoot the pipeline. There is this big flaming smokestack in the middle of town, and we're led to believe that that explosion takes out both the oil tycoon and him. And yet, Cecily and Finn, who are also standing right (laughs) there are fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very convenient. It was it was kind of a funny shot, though. We see him shoot, and then next thing you know, we're, our perspective is three miles back, and we don't know what's going on, and then there's just a mushroom cloud off in the distance. Yeah, I like many like setups and things in this movie, but the way it, they all hang together, there's too many question marks. There's too much confusion and messiness for this to really have that high-octane energy you want of a madcap comedy. I fully accepted I'm not getting the howling. I'm not getting American Werewolf in London but if this is Clue I want to be laughing a lot I want to be carried by the energy and it feels like it's just kind of stumbling to a climax where of course we end up at the axe throwing bar again and Finn realizes when he wanders into the back room that this male person has yes the stuff that Gwen was waiting for with the snowplow and the wolf whistling cell phone that the character Dave had at the beginning. She has been collecting the totems of all the murdered people because she's the werewolf. And by this point, I forgot to look for the werewolf. There's really only two characters left in the movie. I should have instantly known it was Cecily. And I'd forgotten because it's human on human violence. I forgot I was doing a whodunit because everyone done it. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, but they have pointed us to Finn, and he did get nicked by that silver arrow and seems to really be wounded by it. So again, they, they've done a pretty good job. I will give the movie the compliment, the script this much, is that I really didn't know who the werewolf was, but hardly seems to matter either, right? Like, this is about the comedy, and that's what's sort of not working as we get to this finale where, uh, you know, there's a little bit of makeup practical effects. Cecily is going to fall to the floor, writhe, and get some glow-in-the-dark contacts, at least, start leaping around. I mean, I already said that it came a little too late for me to care anymore, but her monologue, you know, it was it was a fun, it was a fun villainous reveal. You know, she got to make fun of some tropes in movies. She's like, oh, really? You thought it was, oh, help, the truck won't start. You know, that was kind of fun stuff, and it wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't fully rote as some movies might have played it off. Yeah, the... The girl who likes all of the things you like and carries that book in her pocket. Those women don't exist. <laughs> I did like that. That was kind of poking fun at the manic pixie girl trope. Mm-hmm. It was also, again, having just watched Scare Me really reminded me, like, felt like the same movie, only they flipped the ending. I was just like, wow, this is, this is real familiar here. But, you know, nobody saw Scare Me. So I guess we can give him this finale. And I had been in my mind thinking, but there is that weirdo in the log cabin that never showed up at the hotel. Flint is going to be one of the people that blows in here at the end to rescue Finn as he's being attacked. He did know Mr. Rogers after all. He wanted to be a good neighbor. Right. And even that was somewhat of a subverted expectation because he doesn't come in and kill Cecily. It's the innkeeper lady who gets the final kill. Who in the carnage I just thought was dead. Well, yeah, we didn't see her die, but she never seemed that important either, at least to me. So don't rule out the fact that Finn also gets some kills here. I feel like the the script can't decide how to land. Maybe you like that. Maybe it does feel creative that it keeps having false endings. But I, I thought Finn won when he picked up the axes and then finally killed Cecily with a snowshoe. She had given him such a hard time about wanting snowshoes that he jabs one in her neck felt like, you know, the kind of ending this movie would give us yeah but you can't kill a werewolf with a snowshoe i mean (laughs) you're right you cannot right but this movie hasn't concerned itself about any of the lore of werewolves as you already kind of brought up you know (laughs) i almost said that i almost said that i'm like but is this following any rules anyway like isn't this all just one big sketch that went on too long (laughs) well you tell me justin stewart do you recommend werewolves within justin i mean it might surprise both of you to hear me say, I didn't hate this movie. You know, we've seen much more offensive stuff in the arcade. And, you know, I guess having no expectations coming in and then getting my hopes up a little bit, seeing the cast and being like, oh, okay, this could be something fun. And seeing moments here and there where it did actually kind of work gave me some hope and then also let me down. So, you know, it's it's not something I feel like you have to see. I don't know that there's a fan of the VR game that was chomping at the bit to get that put on the big screen. So I don't know that there's anybody who could be let down by that, but Mm -mm. I don't know. I mean, if you've got nothing else to do and you got an hour and a half to kill, you could find worse things to watch. So I'm not going to give this movie the worst of not recommends, but it's also not a recommend. So it's just right under that, like, eh, you're not going to hate yourself if you sit through it. Stuart, 
No, I pretty much agree with that review. I don't see much about that that's different from where I land. You know, I'll give it this. Not an easy game to adapt, right? Like, what do you do with this? If you decide that you're going to modernize it and make it about, you know, wisecracks and quips and having people, you know, kvetch and bitch at each other. Yeah, the fact that they modeled this at least as much on the board game and movie of Clue as they did the 2016 VR Werewolves Within feels like the right inspiration. However, as good as this cast is, they're not as good as Tim Curry or Madeline Kahn. You're not going to have flames, flames in your eyes as they tell these half jokes. And that's really the problem is that it's easy enough to watch it passes the time, but it's not particularly substantial. You're not invested in the mystery, and you're not really laughing hard at the jokes. It's probably better than 80% of what we've covered in the arcade, uh, but still kind of tedious at 90 minutes. And so I just can't say that you're going to have a bad time, but probably not a good enough time to say anything more than slight not recommend. We all saw the exact same movie. <laughs> Because everything you guys are saying is what I was thinking, is that this isn't a terrible movie by any means. And for Mm-mm. the arcade, if I was grading on a curve, it's a strong recommend compared to so many of the arcades. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you shouldn't do that. No, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying in the arcade, this is a gem. But when taken just as a movie, as a werewolf movie, it's completely forgettable i didn't have a terrible time in the second half of this movie it took so long for it to get going and there were too many broadly caricatured characters and we kept talking about cable tv shows or streaming shows the one i kept coming back to was schitt's creek because this was Mm. a small town of colorful caricatures and how schitt's creek did that so well and how this does it so badly compared to it yeah bland yeah yeah that i just couldn't get into this once the group coalesces at the inn it gets better and i didn't mind the second half of the movie as much but there's so many better werewolf movies out there and there's better video game movies out there not many but some that have gotten recommends from us that that makes this a weak not recommend Hmm. I thought one of us would have been in kind, but I get you. Like, we're all shrugging. It's truly like, you know, whatever. I can't really muster much of an opinion either way. See it if you have to, but I can't say I thought it was good. And the good news is we only got to do this one more time and then we're all caught up. We have seen every video game movie that there is. That's good. My pocket's almost out of quarters. (laughs) Yeah, when we get to detention in two weeks. Next week, we got a little movie called Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And then we'll cross off the final. It's a J-horror video game from 2019, Detention. And in the meantime, if you are a silver level donor or patron on Podbean or Patreon, we are at our fourth Piranha film review. This one, a surprise resurgence and a hit movie for the franchise, Piranha 3D with Elizabeth Shue. (laughs) 
<laughs> is she in it? I, I, the, the series is bringing a lot of people from the past that I've forgotten about. Elizabeth Shue, okay. Haven't thought about you in a while. But yeah, this is the big hit. This is the one that probably has the most pop culture cachet. Just haven't seen any of these movies, but I'm excited to get back to the water. I'm hoping to get a little bit of Jaws with maybe some Pep's Blue Ribbon mixed in there. You know, some kind of trashy uh, fun to be had with some horror underwater vibes. Yeah, I'm hoping for the best this Friday. So thank you all for your support. Thank you for listening to this review. Justin Stewart, thanks for playing with me. And until next time, game over. I saw what happened to Pete, and I saw what happened to Dave, and I'm not going to stick around and let that happen to me and Marcus. Let's go, Marcus. Hell yeah. Safer out there than it is in this hellhole. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. This conversation is foul. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. It's fucking rad. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, The Wizard, and more. I can't get on the internet! Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Not sure if this is another species or evolution. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. I guess what we're asking is that you, you be a good neighbor, like Mr. Rogers. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. I'll catch you a generous check, easy as a signature. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. This is me saying what I want, so there. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. I'm, I'm here to listen. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Legitimately maladjusted somebody. Associate produced by Jason Latham. It's a man-beast. Stalks the woods, hungers for human flesh, but is never full. Now playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. Man that doesn't understand how brutal it is, Ranger. Now playing credits read by Brock. Would love to hear your voice. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You're way the hell out of your jurisdiction, Ranger. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Oh my god, are you kidding my behind? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2023, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Thank you so much for letting me set up shop in here.